Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service on this lovely sunny day. I'm happy to see you all here. Let's stand and worship God together. <clears throat> Flood 
theme that was given to me is abiding love based on John 15. And so Cam and I figured it's it's hard to talk about God's abiding love without talking about his amazing grace. So we're going to sing amazing grace. <clears throat>
Good morning, good morning, good morning, each and every one of you. Um, it's a beautiful morning this morning, nice and fresh with the showers that we've had. Um, call to worship is also an exciting one. Let's read it together. Come everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise, for the Lord most high is awesome. He is the King of all the earth. Psalm 42, 1-2. Let's just bow for a prayer this morning. Thank you, Lord, for being here with us today, and we can worship you in your house. We just pray that as we do that, all the words of the songs and the message that Trevor brings uh, will be uh, speak to our hearts, and we will be uh, edified by them, and just bless the service now, we pray in your name. Amen. Um, we have scripture reading. Scripture reading is from John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. John 15, 1 to 17. I'm reading from the NIV. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. 
Such branches, pardon me, such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I have learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Amen. Thanks, Gloria. Let's, uh, let's just bow in prayer and ask God to guide us as we go through this passage. Lord God, we want to thank you for your word to us. We remind ourselves that this is your word to us. This is you speaking to us. And uh, we ask, Lord, that uh, you would just view it in that light, or that we would view it in that light. You would help us to understand that truth. And, Lord, as it's going to be spoken to us, that you would open our hearts to what you have for us, each one of us, from this passage. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you all know, I've kind of put it out there for the last few Sundays that uh, we are really excited this week to have our new district superintendent, Trevor Brody, uh, with us for our worship service this morning. He just started in the beginning of January, and he's actually not even moved to our district yet. He, we called him away from the church he was pastoring in Smithers, B.C., and uh, his family's still there. His son is actually graduating here in a couple of weeks, I guess. And, and uh, so uh, that's the reason the family is still there, well, very understandably so. But he's been out here uh, off and on and doing a lot of driving to all the different churches, trying to get to know everybody in the Prairie District of the Free Church. And uh, I wrote a little bit in the back on your pastor's column a bit about, uh, I, I've met him a few times already and spent some time with him already. Very impressed by uh, this man that God has given us. And I'm really excited to have him here and to introduce him to all of you. And uh, so, Reverend Trevor Roddy, come up and share God's word with us. Good morning. It's a blessing to be here today. Uh, as Glenn said, I've started this job in January, and I've been out in the district most of the year. I've uh, gone back a couple times to be with my family in Smithers, northern BC. Uh, two weeks now, the, my wife and youngest son will move out to join me in Okotoks. Uh, we have five children. My wife and I, we've been married for, oh boy, 26 years. And we have five children, three daughters who are at different stages of university and then uh, two sons who are in grade 12 and grade 10. So it looks like just our grade 10 guy moving with us as our older son has uh, some work possibly lined up up north in BC. Uh, so yeah, so glad to be out here. I, I love the prairies. Uh, 
I was, I was saying to Gerbrandt earlier, my grandparents used to farm outside of Moose Jaw. And so our summer holidays every year, I grew up in BC in the lower mainland, our summer holidays every year was to go out to the farm and shoot gophers and play with the cousins and go down to Buffalo Pound Park and go fishing and swim in that round swimming pool they used to have there. And then once my grandparents retired off the farm and I had my own family, summer holidays was going to Moose Jaw to visit them in town and take my kids to do the same things I used to do. So coming out to the Saskatchewan is like always a good feeling for me. I love the big skies, the sunset last night, and just really appreciate the people and, and the pace. And yeah, so I love it out here. So like Glenn said, I started in January, been based in Okotoks. And uh, yeah, put on lots of miles getting around the district on a bit of a Saskatchewan tour right now. But I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the passage where we're at. Um, we're in the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 15 today. And you got to know that I love the Gospel of John. Uh, John gives us his purpose for writing this book. Actually, at the end of John, John 20, verse 31, he tells us why he wrote this book. He says, these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. John's gospel demands a response to Jesus Christ, not just at the conclusion of the book, but throughout the book, John is constantly asking us, the readers, will you believe? Will you find life in Jesus Christ? And John constantly shows us throughout the book how the crowds, how the Pharisees and other opponents of Jesus, he shows us how the disciples, how they all respond to Jesus. And so we're also faced with that same question when we read this book. How will you respond to Jesus? How will you respond to his words and to his actions? How will you respond ultimately to his death and resurrection? John 13 through 17 is known as the upper room discourse or the farewell discourse. This is the last night before Jesus' death. In chapter 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And then Jesus tells them, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In chapter 14, Jesus makes a lot of promises, including the promise of the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to John 15, where we are today, where Jesus teaches with a gardening metaphor. Today we're going to see, first of all, being a fruitful branch, secondly, being an abiding disciple, and thirdly, being a friend of Jesus. Jesus establishes the parameters of the metaphor he's using. God the Father, he is the gardener. He's the one who cuts and prunes the branches. In tending a vine, the gardener cuts off dead branches and prunes living branches to make them more fruitful. Our loving Father prunes us. He disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. He prunes us so that we'll bear more fruit. God our Father is the gardener. And Jesus says that in this metaphor, he is the true vine. But in order to know what Jesus is talking about here, you need to know the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, Israel is shown to be the vine or the vineyard. One commentator writes, Whenever historic Israel is referred to in the Old Testament under the figure of a vine, it's actually the vine's failure to produce good fruit that's being emphasized along with the corresponding threat of God's judgment on the nation. But here in John 15, Jesus declares that he is the true vine. He is the genuine vine. And what he's saying 
is that he is the perfect, authentic fulfillment of what Israel should have been. He is the true vine, the genuine vine. So God the Father is the gardener, Jesus is the true vine, and in this metaphor, the followers of Jesus, we're the branches. Literally, we are the shoots of the vine. And Jesus' call to us in verse 4 is to remain in him, or to abide in him, depending what translation you're using. But this word family for abide or remain is most commonly used in the New Testament to describe staying at a home. For example, Luke chapter 19, you might know the story. Jesus meets Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And you know the rest of the story. You know the rest of the song. Jesus comes up to the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, come down for I must stay at your house today. Same word family. But there's also other shades to this word family. Remain or abide. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it means to persist, to continue, to endure. So, for example, John 5, 38, God's word remains in those who believe in Jesus. In Matthew 26, Jesus asks the disciples to remain with him while he prays at Gethsemane. And remain here means both presence with and paying attention to Jesus. And so part of what it means to abide or to remain is to stay with Jesus and to pay attention to Jesus and to his words. As the branch gets life-giving and nourishing sap from the vine, so we receive life from Jesus. We are completely dependent on Christ. I had an image on my mind as I was working through this. And um, I shared it with my wife, Benita, and she said, that's a dumb idea. Don't share that. But I thought, you know, I actually like it. So I'm going to use it anyway. And, and so the image in my mind as I thought about this idea of remaining abiding is those inflatable wind puppets you see, usually outside of used car dealerships. You know, you know, you go into the city, you see those things just kind of flopping around, kind of going crazy. Yeah. With the air that's inflating them, there's lots of life and action in those things. My, my youngest son, he was actually terrified of them when he was really little. It was kind of funny. But, but they're, they're just kind of going all over the place when that air is in them, inflating them. But as soon as you cut off the air, they're flat, they're crumpled, they're lifeless on the ground. I think it's a little bit of what Jesus is saying here about abiding in him. In verse 5, Jesus promises that those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, what kind of fruit will be produced as we remain in Jesus? Well, Jesus actually identifies some of the fruit in this passage. Remaining in Jesus produces the fruit of true joy in our lives. That's verse 11. Jesus says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. This is full joy he's talking about, abundant, overflowing joy. Joy that doesn't depend on having the right circumstances going on in life. This kind of joy is resilient. One author describes this joy as the necessary result of living life in alignment with King Jesus and in alignment with the truth and with the ethics of his kingdom. This joy is sourced and this joy is replenished by abiding in Jesus. And having his words abide in us. 
Remaining in Jesus also produces the fruit of answered prayer, and that's in verses 7 and 16. Abiding in Jesus is certainly interwoven, connected to prayer. And as we abide in Jesus, we will be praying right, praying according to his will. Because God doesn't change as we pray, we change as we pray. One author writes, if someone is truly abiding in Christ, then their prayers will certainly be in the name of Christ. That is, in accordance with all that Christ stands for. And as I was working through this passage, that definition hit me about prayer. And I had to ask myself this question. Maybe you can ask yourselves this question. Do I pray in accordance with all that Christ stands for? Do I pray in accordance with what Christ stands for? Another way to put it would be, would Jesus pray the prayers that I pray? Would Jesus pray the kind of prayers I pray? Remaining in Jesus produces the fruit of joy. It produces the fruit of answered prayer. And thirdly, in our passage, we see that it produces the fruit of glory to God the Father. That's verse 8. God is glorified when we bear a lot of fruit. You know, it's fun to participate in a big reveal. Uh, my wife loves home and garden television. But what she loves to watch, especially, is the last 10 minutes of the show where they do the big reveal of the reno or the new build that they've done. In fact, she'll, she'll let me watch the hockey game, but the last 10 minutes of a show, I've got to switch over so she can see the big reveal and the look on the people's faces. Gender reveals are a big deal these days for, the, for identifying the gender of a coming baby. But you know what? Jesus says that the fruit in our life is the big reveal that proves that we're his disciples. If you think about it, that might sound familiar. Something in our life that reveals that we're Jesus' disciples. Back in John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And so, when we piece those passages together, somehow remaining in Jesus and bearing fruit is connected to loving one another. And it reveals that we're Jesus' disciples. And we're going to come back to this. Verse 4 tells us that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. There's no fruit. We're like a cut-off branch. We may still look alive for a while. There might be some green leaves at first on that branch that's lying on the ground. But the branch withers it doesn't, it can't bear fruit. The leaves shrivel up. Our fruit demonstrates our union with Jesus Christ. He's the true vine. This word, remain or abide, is used 11 times in verses 4 through 10. But what does it really mean? And I have a confession to make. I've actually often struggled with this passage in John 15. At times, I've been frustrated by this passage. I want to bear fruit. I want to abide in Jesus. But what does it mean? What does it really mean? Abiding or remaining in Jesus can seem, can sound so spiritual, so pious, so pietistic, so theoretical. But what does it actually look like? Maybe you're like me and you need to see the practical. How do I do this? Well, let me assure you today, it is very practical. Abiding in Jesus is very doable. 
We're looking at verses 9 through 13 now of our passage. We're thinking about being an abiding disciple. And the section actually starts with an affirmation of Jesus' love for his disciples. His love for you. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And then next, right away, Jesus says, now remain in my love. Okay, but how? How do we remain in your love, Jesus? Well, he tells us how in verse 10. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. And so we remain in Jesus' love. I would say that we abide in Jesus we stay with Jesus and we pay attention to Jesus. We find our life and strength and nourishment from Jesus as we obey his commands. Okay, all his commands, certain commands, everything he ever told anyone to do, all the Old Testament commands and laws as well. This sounds like it can get real complicated, real complex, real quick. And so Jesus makes it simple for us in verse 12. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Okay, so now we need to know how Jesus has loved the disciples. Because at this point when he says this, he hasn't died on the cross yet for their sin. So he's not talking about that here. That's coming, but it hasn't happened yet. Well, as we look back over the previous chapters, as we look at our context, we see that there is one big example to follow. In chapter 13, Jesus washed their feet. And right after washing their feet, Jesus says this to them. Since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. John 13 is directly connected to John 15, and this is Jesus' example. This is Jesus' command. Love each other. Love each other by serving. Love each other by meeting very real and practical needs. Love each other by humbling yourself below others. By being willing to take the lowest position in front of everyone else. Love each other by putting their interests, their needs, their preferences ahead of your own. Love each other by practicing hospitality because that's actually what foot washing was in that culture. It was a clear act of welcome and hospitality. Love each other. But he's not just talking about love for others who think like us, act like us, sound like us, and smell like us, and who are just like us. Jesus also talks about love for neighbor as well, as he teaches in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Love for those people who are different from us. This involves listening to them. As James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. But not just love for those who are like us, not just love for neighbor. Jesus also talks about love for enemy as well, as he shows us, because he includes Judas in that foot washing. And Jesus commands it in the Sermon on the Mount. And when we do this, when we love each other, this is our testimony to the world that we are followers of Jesus Christ, because we're acting like Jesus. 
And this is sobering and this is serious. And we've missed this so much and too much in the church. Meeting in person on a Sunday morning is not our testimony to the world that we are followers of Jesus. Our stance on a political issue is not the proof that we're faithful followers of Christ. Our preferences in the songs we sing or the Bible translation we use or listening to the right speakers or reading the right books or sharing a Facebook post, the bumper sticker on our car or the sign in our yard, these are not how we show to the world, these are not how we prove to the world that we're disciples of Jesus. Jesus says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And this is so practical. Jesus' love for us motivates and inspires and is the model for our love for one another. And the New Testament has so much to say about how to love each other in very practical, very real, very doable ways. There are so many passages in the New Testament that describe to the church, here is how you love each other. I picked two this morning. First one is in 1 Corinthians 13. Did you know that 1 Corinthians 13 was not written by the Apostle Paul for weddings? He did not write it for use in weddings. He wrote it to a church that was disagreeing with each other and facing conflict with each other and that was going through major dysfunction. A church that was disagreeing about important things. He writes this to them to describe how to love each other. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. In Romans 12, Paul writes, is writing to the church at Rome, another church that was divided largely along Jewish and Gentile lines. They were disagreeing with each other about things that were very important to them. And to this church, Romans 12, Paul writes more about how to love each other. He says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. There it is again. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think that you know it all. You know, I've seen a tendency when we hear this kind of teaching to right away think of the most difficult, the most obscure, the most scary person whom we may be called to love one day. But in the process, we totally miss the person, the people whom we are called to love right now. The people who live with us, the people who work with us, the people who go to school with us, the person who's sitting a few rows away from you in this room right now. That's who you're called to love. As we abide in Jesus by obeying his command to love each other, we show the world that we're disciples of Jesus. We show what it looks like to live in his kingdom. It's practical. And it requires a dying to self. To love others more than I love me. And before I go further, I have to acknowledge how difficult this is. We simply cannot do this on our own. And so I want to point us back again to the context of our passage in John 15. 
Because before John 15, in chapter 14, and then after John 15, in chapter 16, in fact, later on in chapter 15 itself, Jesus not only teaches about, Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit. We absolutely need the Holy Spirit working in us in order to first desire, and then to even be capable of loving each other. This would be a whole other sermon, the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so I want to acknowledge this before I move on. And there's one more element of the context I need to point out. In John 17, Jesus prays for the church's unity. In fact, he prays for our unity. John 17, Jesus prays for you. Unity is the result of our love for each other. Unity is our testimony of God's love for the church. Last night, we, we were talking about, uh, about The Chosen. Uh, my wife and I, during COVID, we actually started watching The Chosen TV show. I don't know how many of you have watched The Chosen or are familiar with it. If you haven't, I, I encourage you. Um, I think they do just a great job of describing what it might have looked like for these disciples following Jesus and all their flaws and all their humanness. And, and, and I think it's effective just to get another perspective on what it would have looked like, those first followers of Jesus. But, but anyway, when you, in, in, at the start of The Chosen, there's an opening song and there's an animation as they roll the credits at the start. And what you see on the screen is a school of fish swimming down a stream and they're all gray in color. And then you see one blue fish swimming against the current in the opposite direction of the others. And, and this one's going upstream. And then you see some of the gray fish that, that are going downstream. They turn into bluefish and they turn around and one by one they start swimming against the current upstream following that first bluefish in the opposite direction of the others. And I think that's such an effective illustration for what it means to follow Jesus Christ. We follow Jesus upstream against the current of the prevailing thoughts and values and beliefs and practices of our culture. And the defining characteristic of followers of Jesus, what identifies us as different from the world, is that we love each other. I'm going to date myself here. Who knows the band, the Christian band DC Talk? Okay, you're older like me. That's awesome. That, so for those of you who are younger, do you know who Toby Mac is? Toby Mac was in a group called DC Talk before he was just Toby Mac. So this is a while back. And, and, and I, one of the first Christian CDs I ever bought was by, Jesus, uh, by DC Talk. It was called Jesus Freak. Maybe you had it too. 1995. And one of the songs on this album was called, What If I Stumble? And the intro to this song has a speaker saying these words. He says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. In our world these days, it's changing. It's changing big time. And in our world these days, so many people are challenging and rejecting the teaching and the truth of the Bible. Well, church, the best apologetic we have the best thing we can do to show why we believe and for showing how we believe that the Bible is true is for us to actually do what it says. I've been spending time in John's letters recently. 
And as I've been reading through 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, it seems to me that in some ways the whole letter of 1 John is actually a deeper explanation, a commentary, digging down deeper of our passage in John 15 today. Listen to what John writes in 1 John 3, because it connects so well with John 15. He says this, starting in verse 16, 1 John 3. We know what real love is, because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well, and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children... Let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. True love. Our world today needs to know that true love is Jesus laying down his life for us. And then us following that example. When we look back at verse 6, back in John 15 now. When we look back at verse 6 for a moment. We see that Jesus tells us that if we don't remain in him, that is, if we don't love each other, then we're like a branch that's thrown away. It becomes kindling, fuel for fire. It's useless for anything else. If we don't love one another, then that means that we're not abiding or remaining in Jesus. We're not staying with Jesus. We're not paying attention to Jesus. If we don't love one another, we don't belong to Jesus. We're not a part of him if we don't love each other. If we don't love each other, we never did belong to Jesus. In fact, John comes back to this sobering truth. Again, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. He says this, We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he's given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Listen to Jesus' words in John 15, 12 and 13. One more time. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And with these words... Jesus is revealing the magnitude of his love for the disciples. And not just for them, but his love for us, too. Out of high school, I attended the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. As part of uh, being part there on campus, I got involved with a club called the Navigators. The Navigators is a Christian ministry. Uh, In 1993, I was part of their program at their headquarters in Colorado Springs. But the founder of the Navigators was a man named Dawson Trotman. He began a ministry of discipleship in the U.S. Navy, a one-to-one discipleship that then expanded to the U.S. military, and then across campuses of universities and colleges now around the world. One-to-one discipleship focused on scripture reading, scripture memory, prayer, and evangelism. One-to-one discipleship, very effective. In fact, Billy Graham used to bring the navigators on board to to, to conduct the follow-up for his crusades. Well, in 1956, Dawson Trotman died in a tragic accident. Here's the account. Dawson was 50. He was married with five children, high school aged or younger. He was at Shroon Lake, New York at a camp speaking there. One afternoon while riding in a boat with a few campers, they hit some choppy water. 
Dawson and a female camper fell off of the boat. Dawson held her up to keep her from drowning. And he died in the process. Billy Graham spoke at his funeral. And he said this about Dawson's last act of heroism. Doss died the same way he lived, holding others up. When I was in Colorado Springs in 1993, we hiked up to Trotman's grave. The verse on his headstone is John 15:13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. On the cross, Jesus laid down his life for you. We were enemies of God, dead in our sins, separated and cut off from relationship with God because of our sin. And on the cross, Jesus took our sin upon himself. He died in our place to secure our forgiveness, to give us new life, to reconcile us to God. Jesus laid down his life for you. Jesus loves you. The love you are longing for, the love that you are yearning for, the love that you were made for is found only in the heart of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' day and age, the rabbi-disciple relationship was hierarchical. Disciples served their rabbi, following his teaching, emulating how he lived his life. But in verse 15, Jesus describes a transformation that takes place for his disciples. And he says, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. Trusting in Jesus, obeying his command to love each other, a transformation takes place. No longer a servant or slave, Jesus calls you his friend. You are Jesus' friend if you do his commands. Not just saying, not just giving mental assent to, but actually doing his commands. As Jesus' friends, we receive insider knowledge of God the Father. We come to understand God's will and God's plan. In chapter 14 of John, we see that seeing Jesus, we've seen the Father. He says that knowing Jesus, we know the Father. We enter into a relationship of intimacy and love, love that's practical, love that's seen, love that's shown. Remember that as Jesus says these words to his disciples about them being his friends, they can think back just a few minutes to when Jesus washed their feet, serving them. And in that day and age, disciples would actually shop around and choose a, 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 choose a rabbi to follow. But that's not how it works with Jesus. Verse 16 now. You did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. We didn't choose Jesus. He chose us. He chose you. Each one of those disciples, they had their own personal story of how one day they were going along in life and one day Jesus chose them and called them to follow him. Jesus chose you. You did not choose him. I did not deserve to have Jesus choose me. And you did not deserve to have Jesus choose you. But he has. There's grace. There's amazing grace. He loves you. And he calls us to love each other. 
loving one another is grace-based. It's not, it's not a list we check off. Otherwise, it's legalism. It's not. It's grace-based. Loved by Jesus, we love each other. And abiding in Jesus involves knowing his deep love for you. And it means operating out of that reality that you are so deeply and dearly loved by the God who created you. Operating out of that security of Jesus' love for you, knowing that there's nothing in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are chosen. You are appointed to bear lasting fruit. Not fruit for your own benefit, not fruit for your own credit, and not fruit for your own glory, but fruit that benefits other people, and that brings glory to God. We don't produce the fruit on our own. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We produce the fruit by abiding in Jesus. And we abide in Jesus by obeying his command to love each other. Earlier, I talked about how the Gospel of John demands a response. You can't just hear about Jesus. You can't just read about Jesus. You must respond to Jesus, who he is and what he's done and all that he taught. And I admit, I don't know you today. I've met some of you. I don't know you. I don't know if you're new to this church and this is your first Sunday ever here. I don't know if you've been a believer, a follower of Jesus for decades. I don't know if maybe you've been attending this church for a while, but you've never actually taken the step of trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I don't know you. I don't know where you're at. And so I ask this question today for each one of us, young or old, children, teenagers or older, I ask you this question. Do you have the sense that Jesus is working in your life, inviting you to follow him? Do you have the sense that Jesus is tapping you on the shoulder, choosing you? Will you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Will you follow him? Following Jesus Christ involves turning from your sin. That's called repentance. And putting your trust in Jesus who died on the cross in your place for your sins and was resurrected from the dead. Will you put your trust in Jesus and follow him? Will you take that step today in response to him? And those of us who are believers, who've been followers of Jesus for a week, a year, a long time, church, I ask you today, who is God calling you to reach out to and love? In practical, in hospitable, in even sacrificial ways. Who is God maybe even bringing to mind for you right now? Whose name, whose face? Who are you being called to reach out to and love? As we come to the end of our passage, verse 17 now, Jesus summarizes what he's been saying. He says, this is my command. Love each other. Just in case you forget, just so you don't miss it, love each other. Love other believers. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Love others. Because Jesus loves you. I invite you to take a moment and reflect on these words. I invite the worship team to come and lead us in the next song.
Let's stand and sing together. Jesus said that if I first 